as we've seen illustrated through the life of Jonah, that the message supersedes even the messenger. That God used Jonah in spite of Jonah, but it is wonderful when God uses a servant because of that servant, because they are yielded to the Spirit of God. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in a study of the book of Jonah, and in this series, Pastor Carl has been looking at the motivations and actions of Jonah the prophet. Today, we'll examine how, in spite of Jonah's rebellion, God chose to use him. Let's join Pastor Brogy now. And listen, if you're running from God, you'll be asleep spiritually as well, just as he was a few short moments earlier physically. You say, Pastor, well, I, I think I'm awake. I, I talk about Jesus. I have a walk for Jesus. Look, you can talk in your sleep and you can walk in your sleep. Oh, I'm passionate about Jesus. Sometimes I even cry in church over him. Look, people cry in their sleep. Well, I think a whole lot about Jesus. You can think about Jesus in your sleep. It's called dreaming. You say, well, how can I really know if I'm awake or asleep? It's very simple. If you are awake, you will see people the way God sees people. For the Son of Man has come to save and to seek that which is lost. You will see people headed towards a real destiny, either in heaven forever and ever or in hell forever and ever. And that will drive the way you live and the things that you will speak about. So here's Jonah. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, but nothing could be further from the truth, at least at this moment. Now, he's not trying to discredit God, yet at the same time, he is fleeing from God. He has just affirmed the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. That's the God I worship. And when he says that, notice, the men became extremely frightened. By the way, we just have a summary here in verse 10 of all that he said, and I'll show you that in a moment. I think you, most of you have picked it up already. These men, literally it says, feared with a great fear. And so they ask, how can you do this? How could you do this, Jonah? You're the preacher. You say you worship God who made the sea that we're in. You worship God who made the land where we wish we were in. And you're bringing this on us. And that's what pagans often do. They have a way of pointing out our faults. You lose your cork at the office and they say, hey, Christian deacon, uh, you're not supposed to act that way, are you? And God will sometimes rebuke us, even through lost people. For the man knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told him, told them, that tells us the whole story is in here. He rehearsed with them what he had gone through and what he was doing. Initially, they thought he was in trouble because of something he had done, but he was actually in trouble because of something he was not doing. He should have been going to Nineveh, but he was going in the opposite direction. So, verse 11, they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. God was turning up the heat, and that's what he'll do at the end of time. He'll turn things up in the physical realm, in the natural realm. 
Things will get more and more progressively worse, and then again the water will break and the birth pangs will come during the great tribulation period. Of course, these statements here in verse 10 that these sailors make tell us again they had missed the motive. They didn't understand that he was in, they were in the mess they were, not because he had done something wrong, but because he wasn't doing something right. He said to them, notice verse 12, pick me up, throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. It reveals his determination not to do the will of God, but to disobey God's will. Throw me into the sea. It's all my fault. He's confessing it. Tell us what to do, Jonah. We'll do anything you want us to do. Throw me in. You know what he could have said? He could have said, look, you guys repent of your false gods. And I'll repent of my disobedience. You turn this ship around, bring me back to Tel Aviv, and everything will be different. But not Jonah. He is stubbornly rebellion. He might have said, he could have bluffed his way out of it, and I appreciate he didn't do that. Give me an order. I don't know why we're in this mess. Let me help you row. But at least he's honest. Now, people have sometimes asked me on the Bible line over the years, why didn't Jonah just jump in? Because that would have been suicide. And he's not in favor of suicide. In chapter 4 and verse 3, when he is griping to God as a pouting prophet that God had converted and brought the greatest revival in the history of the world, and he's pouting under that, that, that tree, he says, I can't take it, Lord, just, just kill me. Why doesn't he use his own hands? Because he's not in favor of suicide. So he felt content. God is sovereign. If they want to throw me overboard, I'll take this as God's disciplinary hand on my life. You know, sometimes when people get carnal, they get stubborn. Many times over the decades, I've had a couple in my office, and I'm just trying to convince sometimes one, sometimes both. Would you at least say, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? But they won't do it. And I can't help them. And they can go pay somebody a hundred bucks for a 30 minute session. They can't help them either. We gotta own our problem. Jonah's not like the prodigal father. I've sinned against you and against heaven. Forgive me. No, not at all. Throw me into the drink. Can a Christian become that hardened? Yes, I wish I could say no. But there's biblical examples, even in the New Testament. Do you remember 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 30? For this reason, for what reason? Because some of the Corinthians were living immoral lives. Some even got drunk. For this reason, as they continued on this path of sin without repenting, and God was turning up the rheostat, many among you are weak, some of you are sick, And some of you sleep. Some of you are dead. So yes, a Christian can become so hard 
and obstinate towards God that they can literally self-destruct. And this happens when we ignore the plain instruction of God. You know, at the Lord's table, I often admonish people as I admonish myself to pray what David prayed in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, you might expect them just to pick them up and throw them overboard, but that's not what happens. Look at verse 13. However, the men rode desperately. The Hebrew says they dug in. The men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. So here we find these guys giving their best, throwing their guts out. They dug deeper into the sea, the text reads. But notice there's a progression here. It goes from bad to worse. In verse 4, we read of a great wind and a great storm. Then look at verse 11. We're told the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And now in verse 13, God turns the rheostat up another notch as the sea was becoming even stormier. They row harder, and Jonah is saying, row, row, row your boat. And God was saying, you ain't going nowhere. Now, I hope you see the irony in this, and that while Jonah would not lift a finger to save the lives of these pagans, these idol-worshiping pagans are doing everything in their power to save Jonah. Can you imagine how convicted this prodigal prophet must have felt knowing how hard they struggled to deliver this man, but their rowings of no use. We read in verse 14, then they called on the Lord Yahweh, notice all caps, the name of God. They called on the Lord and said, we earnestly pray, O Lord. And I love the New American Standard. It retains the vocative. Most of the new traditions do not. O Lord, because it describes in the Hebrew text, depth of soul. O Lord! Do not let us perish on account of this man's life. And do not, put, do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done this as you have pleased. Do you notice what they've done? They've turned away from the multiplicity of these gods because Jonah had been preaching to them. He recounted the whole scene and they acknowledging what they originally knew true to be in their heart, that there's just one God. Yes, you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. We can't win. Now, God does not want you to ask him for permission. He doesn't ask, you don't ask God for, excuse me. God doesn't ask you for permission. God is a sovereign God. God is going to do as he pleases. You see, the problem is, is we don't fear God. Under the love of God, we don't really fear God. Well, there's a sense in which there's no fear in love. And the sense that if you've received Christ, the Lord God has been propitiated. All of the wrath for your sin, my sin, has been poured out in a holy substitute, the Lord Jesus. But there's still a sense which the Bible commands believers to fear God. It's the beginning of wisdom. And one of the characteristics of a nation that is being given over is there's no fear of God before their eyes. Our president and vice president and speaker of the house and a number of Republicans and Democrats, when they herald this wickedness as a lifestyle that should be accepted, the murder of babies and clinics and the, the perversion of a lifestyle, we say, oh, this is a good thing. 
no fear of God before their eyes. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. He's so stubborn, he's so rebellious. Take me, throw me overboard, no resistance. He doesn't say, oh, God, stop, don't do this. I, I gotta repent, I'm gonna get right right now. Throw me over. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered his sacrifice. Then when? Then because of another miracle that took place. Please note, it does not say the storm stopped. The text says the sea stopped, and there's a big difference. Normally when the storm stops, the sea is still agitated, but this is similar to the miracle Jesus did on Galilee. It all stopped. When God does a miracle, he does it first class. And so these men feared the Lord greatly. And notice they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. Now in verse 16, they did three things. They feared the Lord, number one. They offered a sacrifice, number two. And three, they made vows. There's just a sense of total awe on board. Again, there's a progression here in the lives of these men. Initially, this is the third time it says they feared God. First, in verse uh, 5, the text says the storm. They feared God over the storm. The second time, they feared God when they heard he was a Hebrew and he worshiped Yahweh. And no doubt they had heard about Yahweh. People had for centuries. Remember, it was Yahweh, the Lord, who brought them out of Egypt with 10 mighty plagues representing these pagan gods that they worship. He split the dead Red Sea in half. He allowed them to cross over the Jordan. That was the living God who did that. And of course, they had heard about him. Everyone had heard of him. And now on the third occasion, it says they feared the Lord. And so what do they do? Well, the text says they offered a sacrifice, they worshiped, and they knew the Jews had a prescribed system because God had established it with Abel without the shedding of blood. There's no forgiveness, and actually he established it through his parents before that. That's how Abel knew, because when they sinned and they covered themselves with fig leaf works religion, God killed the first animals in all of human history. Certainly many pagan religions have tried to copy the Hebrews and their means and methodology and rationale behind their pagan animal sacrifices compared nothing to what God reveals in the holy writ of scripture. And they made vows. They don't make a vow before it happens. You know, Lord, if you get us out of this storm, we promise we'll do whatever you want. That's foxhole conversion. Two men are in a foxhole. The enemy is coming. There's seemingly no hope. Lord, I promise you I'll serve you the rest of my life if you'll get me out of this. And God does. And he turns his body. Whoa. They missed us. We need to go out and celebrate and get drunk and find some women tonight. That's foxhole conversion. No, these men... After the storm is over, after the deliverance, worship and fear the living God. Now, just quickly, let's consider finally Jonah in relationship to the fish. 
I'll just touch on it this week and we'll plunge into it deeper next time. Jonah in relationship to the fish. We read now in verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I like the way the NASB renders it appointed. Um, the Net Bible says he sent a fish. The Old English says he prepared a fish. But I do not think the issue here is that God literally created a fish on the spot. And that certainly was not the intention of the 17th century English tense and uh, translation, much less their commentators. God appointed a fish. Now, could have God just instantly created a fish? Uh, could have. God can do anything he wants. But the Hebrew word means he appointed a fish. God knows everything about us. He knew where Jonah was headed. He knew what these pagan sailors were going to do. He knew he was gonna, they were going to throw him overboard. God's already got his submarine in locale, ready to pick up his servant. Now, again, we'll delve into it deeper next time. People often ask, well, is there a fish large enough to do this? Well, certainly there are. There is the sperm whale, which uh, has been spotted certainly in the Mediterranean waters. There's also the blue whale. Now, the blue whale has a huge mouth. They say a whole football team could fit in it, but it's the aperture of the throat is so small it can barely swallow an orange, only a herring. Whereas the sperm whale also has a huge mouth, but it has a throat that will expand up to eight feet. They have found full octopuses, octopi, I guess is the plural of octopus, right? Octopi inside of, a, of these sperm whales. Now, I don't know uh, Jonah's exact dimensions, but I think he would have fit. In either case, that's where he needed to go. That's where the air was. Second, could a man survive and stay alive in one of these creatures? Well, the temperature is hot. They say it's 104 to 106 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, you could survive in that. A lot of humidity. But not for long. Because of the digestive juices. Again, we'll look at this further next time through some men, historical records of men who've been swallowed. The miracle is not that a fish could swallow Jonah, but that he could survive three days and three nights and come out alive and unharmed. You say, Pastor Carl, do you really believe that? I believe with all my heart. I believe that if God prepared Jonah to swallow a great fish, he could have done that. God can do anything he wants to do. You say, well, is there a fish big enough for a man to survive without him being digested? Again, you miss the whole point in those questions. The question is not, is there a big enough fish or could these circumstances unfold? The question is, how big is your God? Again, Barashit bara Elohim in the beginning created God. Hashamayim v'yet ha'ar, it's the heavens and the earth. He put it in the opening verse. And that's why Satan, more than anything else for the last hundred years, has attacked creationism. You say, does it bother you that you can't totally figure it out? Not at all. It would bother me more if I, as a finite man, could fully explain the infinite God. So how are we going to apply this? Let me suggest several applications as we close. Number one, God's grace, because there's some 
timeless lessons about the grace of God here. God's grace is seen in that while Jonah is disobedient, he still uses Jonah for his glory. While he's disobedient, he still uses Jonah for his glory. I mean, whoever would have thought that the conversion of these pagan sailors was possible? Sadly, it's the revival on the boat and the revival in the city that is overlooked. But in spite of Jonah, in spite of the messenger, he still explains all that God did, and they repent, and they believe in the one true God. Now, I am deeply disturbed over what has happened in evangelical Christianity in the last 40 years. The church in America has become more and more hero worshipers. And it's the same problem that the Apostle Paul covered in 1 Corinthians 3. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Paul is asking, who are these people? Just messenger boys. And periodically, we see one of God's servants fall, servants that God was using to bring people into the kingdom, and it is a fresh reminder, as we've seen illustrated through the life of Jonah, that the message supersedes even the messenger, that God used Jonah in spite of Jonah, but it is wonderful when God uses a servant because of that servant, because they are yielded to the Spirit of God. So we saw the Jimmy Swaggerts and the Jim Bakers and all the people in the last five years fallen who've rejected the faith, too many to name, in evangelical churches. And yet people came to Christ. Why? Because the message is alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Can you imagine these guys? Jonah meets them and says, hey, man, how'd you get here? You're one of those Phoenicians. How'd you get here? You don't remember me, Jonah? I was on your boat. It's just like we told you. God does as he pleases. Secondly, God's grace is seen in that while Jonah is discarded by these sailors, he's not discarded by God. While he's discarded by the sailors, he's not discarded by God. I mean, God had a fish already and prepared to move in to rescue him. And some of us, if we were playing God, we wouldn't have done it this way. We would have sent a great white shark. I mean, oh, God, I want to obey the golden rule, but at least leave some teeth marks on the guy, you know, just as a reminder. But this is God's kessid. his unfailing love, his mercy. And the good news is that God's grace does not fail, that while Jonah has forgotten God, God has not forgotten Jonah. Jonah had given up on doing the will of God, but God had not given up on him, and he hasn't given up on you. And some of you may be hearing you say, I've blown it. I had a brother call me this week, not a literal brother, but a brother in Christ. I've blown it. Can God ever use me again? God loves to move in to the heart of a prodigal and show his grace. No doubt when he is thrown overboard and he's beginning to sink down into the water, he thinks I'm history. This is it. 
but God came after him with everything he had. See, as you read through this chapter, God has no problem with the storm. He's over it. God has no problem with the pagan sailors. He's over them. God has no problem with the great fish. He commissions him spot on to pick him up. The only problem he has is with his reluctant servant, Jonah. Jonah was out of the will of God. He had lost his concern for the things of God, but God had not lost his concern for his prophet. And if you are a true child of God and you run from the Lord, he will pursue you in his discipline. He will chase you. And you will feel his hot breath on your neck because he wants to restore you. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the realism, for the honesty and the practicality of your word, a lamp unto our feet and a light to our paths. And I know that there are saints who are listening to me here on one of our campuses and thousands every week who live stream or download the messages, and some who are right where Jonah is described as. Thank you that, like the prodigal, when we will own our sin and confess it before you that you are faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So help someone today to be restored in your grace. Thank you that when we ponder your grace, when we think of the fact that even as believers we can rebel, but you still love us with an unfailing love how that instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to want to live holy and righteously in this present age. But we know the promise of restoration is only given to those who have first received Jesus as Lord. So help someone today who is trying to find meaning in life through rebellious sin. Help someone today who is self-righteous and they think they're good enough to save themselves. Help them to come to Jesus who died in their place on their behalf and was raised from the dead, declaring to all men everywhere that they must repent because you have fixed the day in which you will judge the world through him. Thank you that you are in control of this world. Thank you that you are in control of the governments of Canada and across this world. And we pray for our brother pastors there that the things that they know this week we may soon know in America the things that we thought at one time would never be normalized are now a way of life. So help us that no matter what happens, to rely on your providence, to rely on your sovereignty. You warned us that these days would come upon those who live at the end of the age. And you told us that at the end of the age, you would gather the Jews and put them in the land. And yet so many are asleep. Help us to be spiritually alert and to live fully for you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God is patient. The great fish obeyed more readily than Jonah, yet God continued to chase after Jonah. If you would like a copy of today's message in its entirety, Go online to searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling us at 877-787-7478 and requesting program JNH3. 
And don't forget to always use the Search the Scriptures with Carl Brogy app, available for smartphones and tablets. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. You can hear more of Audrey's messages on the Search the Scriptures app found in the iTunes Store and Google Play Store. And also check out Audrey's podcast, Rare But Real, on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcast platforms. Monday, we'll begin our fourth message in our study of the book of Jonah. Join us then as we search the Scriptures. <music>